Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody. I am so excited that the universe has aligned our schedules to be together because today we are joined by Jane Park. She is the CEO and founder of Julep. Jane, thank you so much for being on Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am so thrilled to be here. (laughs) So it's taken us some time to get our schedules connected. And um, I want to tell you something that I've learned because it used to be early in my career that like when meetings would get canceled on me, I'd get really upset and it's what's taken so personally, like they don't want to talk to me. I'm not important enough. (laughs) Did Did you ever feel like that ever in your career? You know, I don't know. I can't remember. Now I see it as such a gift of time, both when I'm giving and receiving. And also as a, as a woman, I feel like I uh, never want to fe- have people feel guilty. And so I love it when I get to sort of uh, when somebody cancels on me and I get to give someone a free pass to say, look, it's fine. It happens to all of us. Um, so, you know, I, I love those opportunities when somebody cancels on me now, I'm, I'm excited. It's like, I can pay the universe back in some way. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it used to be such like, cause I think I always came from a place of self doubt, you know, it's always like overthinking and not feeling like really comfortable in my skin. It's taken me a while to get there. But now when someone cancels on me, it's like, wow, I can, like, if I'm working from home, I, like, watch a show I have on DVR. <laughs> like, it's, like, free time. Um, I'll do something else that was on my list that I thought, like, I was never going to get to. And I feel like the universe always gives this to me on a day when I am overloaded, when I actually need a little break. It's incredible. It is. And you know what's great is, like, uh, like everything else in life, it sort of takes um, confidence in order to have the ability to be generous. Right. So it's hard to let somebody off the hook and just uh, appreciate the gift of time if you don't have mm-hmm. the confidence to understand the um, the broader picture of the universe for what it is. So it is great not to, you know, to have the confidence not to read the wrong message into something. You know, um, one of the values we like, I was really passionate about us, including when we were um, coming up with their values at Julep is um, it's called Assume Positive Intent. And it's not just like give somebody the benefit of the doubt. It's actually a more active exercise than that. It's like um, assume, like just to stop and uh, try to think about what the very best, you know, reason could be that this negative thing happened. So either somebody's canceling on you or even the other day I was so annoyed that somebody had left a dish in the sink and I tried to stop <laughs> and say, what is a really good reason? Well, maybe a really good reason is that, um, you know, they were running to finish something super important at work. And instead of leaving the cup in the conference room, they at least brought it to the sink or, you know, it was just imagining this person who was trying to juggle so much and maybe running home to be with their kids or whatever it was. And I immediately felt like, ah, there's something really calming about just assuming that other people are trying to do their best. A lot of the most annoying, irritating things in the world can be managed emotionally if you stop and imagine that that person is just trying their best. They might be screwing up, but maybe they're just trying their best. That's really beautiful. Tell me again what you call it. Assuming positive intent. (laughs) I love that. It's I mean, really I think that hard. Work, it's, it's a super hard thing to do for people in traffic, right? Like, let's mm. uh, instead of assuming I'm going slow, maybe I'm like nervous. 
Maybe I'm about to have a baby, right? Like, you know, assuming that people have other things. I always imagine that when somebody is being crazy on the road, I think maybe it's my dad. (laughs) Maybe he can't see very well and he's 75. (laughs) You know, that it just makes it, um, I, I would think that for people who never worked at Julep before and come into that culture and hear that, um, there must be a little bit of a, a, a sigh of relief, even if they can't articulate it, that this is like a tolerant workspace. Uh, it's right? really, really important. Yeah. Tolerant. yeah, and it's uh, actually super important, not only for people from different backgrounds, but from people uh, from different functions. And so when accounting tells you that you can't do this customer gift card program, right? Um, or there are all these challenges with it. Instead of thinking that they're being jerks and telling you no because they like being mean, um, if you stop and think, well, they want our company to grow too. Like, this is my teammate. So if they're saying no, you know, it must be a good reason. Or how can I sort of uh, structure it differently so we can both get what we want? Um, and maybe they're protecting the company. Everybody has the best interests of the company at heart. But uh, um, when you have different functions, like product development feels like, um, you know, nobody understands what they do in terms of timelines and <laughs> developing innovation. You know, software engineers um, here feel like nobody understands what they do, like, they, you know, what it takes to write code and create a customer experience. Um, and it's true. Like, none of us really know what it's like to do the other function. So we sort of have to assume that everybody is just trying their best uh, because you you can't ever know what it's like to, you know, to, to have to be accountable to accounting rules or to have to meet, um, you know, a, a software development project timeline. I love this. Where did the idea for this get started? You know, it's it really one of the most amazing things about starting a company is that in this small, limited part of the world, we're kind of creating our own rules and we are creating our own universe. I mean, I'm super proud of the products that we create and what we do for our customers. But in some ways, one of the most profound things about starting Julep for me was creating this mini universe. Um, If you think about the number of hours you spend at work and how the norms of your workplace really impact your life in some ways so much more than federal laws or, you know, (laughs) there's some big things Mm -hmm. like, you know, don't um, run over people or, you know, paying taxes um, that were the big picture government impacts your freedom. But really, day to day, how you feel about your life and how you interact with people is so much more governed by your workplace in many ways. And so uh, it's, you know, it's something that I wanted to be really thoughtful about. If we get to create this universe, what do we want it to look like? It's so incredible. You know, it makes me think of something you told me when we first spoke is that um, you don't, you don't feel any pressure for perfection. Um, Does that still resonate with you, that thought? 
Oh, gosh, every day. And I feel like every day it comes up in conversation in some way. Like uh, one of my managers is really having a hard time writing reviews. And it's not that she doesn't want to or she's being lazy. It's just that she takes it so seriously uh, that she feels like it. Ha- you know, it's giving somebody uh, in- input on their performance. And she has a, a real mental block against uh, making progress on that. Um, so at, at least once a day, there's something that that drive for perfection, you know, is doing where it's preventing uh, me or someone else from being able to make progress, right? So I think it's really important instead of trying to be perfect, what I love is when people try to be better. So if you are doing reviews better than you did last time, mm, you know, then you're yeah. making progress. You're trying to move the dial, Um, Because at the end of the day, there really isn't any such thing as perfect. And certainly in the beauty category, I think it's really harming to women. I think the idea of perfect was put out there by people who don't want women to be successful, who don't want us to be confident. Because if you, as soon as you give up on the idea of perfect, the whole world opens up. Then it's just lots of different opportunity to do things differently or better. Um, but there's nothing as world limiting and, and, you know, that will close you off as uh, a strive for perfection. Yeah. My feeling about perfection, and this is coming from someone who was seeking perfection most of her life, maybe for the, you know, I'm almost 42. So maybe the past five years <laughs> I haven't been seeking it. I've been trying to unwind it, but um, it's, it doesn't make any sense and it shouldn't even be a word. That's how crazy the idea of it is. Right. Like it shouldn't even be a word in our vocabulary because it doesn't exist or make any sense. It's so true. It's like when you are trying for the impossible, it's actually not motivating. I think that's the thing. You know, um, I uh, um, have no coordination and I suck as an athlete. (laughs) I have no ability to do anything competitively that's athletic. So I'm curious what people who are, you know, competitive Olympic athletes would say. Um, But I would think that everything I know about human nature, it's like you get you get better by figuring out what you did and then making an incremental improvement. And then you make an improvement on that, that we as human beings are, you know, we should constantly be measuring and observing and self-reflecting and then trying to take a step for the better. Cause uh, definitely I know a lot of women who go home at the end of the day and they're like, Oh, dummy, dummy, dummy. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done Mm. that. Spend so much time beating yourself up for every little thing that you wish you had done differently. And it's not productive, right? What I always love to tell people is like, you can either ask for a do-over from the people, you know, from that, uh, the people who are involved in the situation you're beating yourself up over, or, you know, just equip yourself so the next time this kind of conversation comes up, um, you will be prepared, like use the information. I think as long as you absorb the experience and try to think about what you do differently. Um, That's what that experience was there for, because you definitely can't turn back time and go back and do that specific moment again. Right. You know, I've, I've started to think of it like the, um, the universe gives me, puts things in front of me, challenges in front of me that um, I think I'm ready to learn from. And I don't always learn the first time. And I don't always learn the second time, but maybe like by the third or fourth time at this point, I'm like trying to, you know, really be open to the stuff and that the experience 
even if it went south south and didn't feel good, it was there for a reason. Like I needed that learning. I needed to overcome something there. Um, and then there's real value in that moment, right? I can see like the learning. I can see the opportunities. And I know then next time I, I will probably behave or respond differently. So I see these things as real true opportunities when things don't, don't feel like they're going my way. I think that is the whole enchilada. Like that is uh, how you create meaning in your life. It doesn't just happen. Meaning isn't there proactively. I think it's the way you reflect on what happened and what you're going to do differently. That's where all of the meaning lies. I think if you don't have that, it's hard to have your true north. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And if you're striving for something that's you know, not attainable like perfection, um, then it's hard to create meaning out of that because you're just a constant disappointment to yourself. Yes, and we want to feel good and joyful, right? Like, isn't that the goal? <laughs> we have we have limited days, right? We don't we don't get to be here I forever. I really believe in laughing at work. You know, a friend of mine just recently told me that uh, he works somewhere where people don't laugh at work. And uh, mm. I think that's crazy. I think, mean, you know, uh, it's a question that I always tell people now to find out about uh, if you're joining a company. Ask them if they laugh regularly in a meeting. Oh, my gosh. It'll tell you a lot. <laughs> So what does that look like at Julep? What is laughing and how does that joy come through in the workplace? You know, it's, uh, I think for me, the sense of humor part is about self-awareness. It's about poking fun at ourselves or, uh, you know, it's sort of reflecting on like, oh, well, let's not do that again, (laughs) you know, or remember how well that worked the last time. Um, that uh, being able to take a lesson and make sure that you can look at it from a lot of different ways. Um, Humor is a lens, right? So I really believe if you can look at a moment through a lot of different lenses, that's how you get smart and, again, how you Mm -hmm. construct meaning for yourself. And laughing together is just, you know, it's such a great way to connect and say we are all in this boat together physically. We're, you know, we are um, seeing it in the same way. We all see how absurd this is or, you know, uh, uh, whatever the, the um, situation is. So I think uh, uh, if, you, if you are not laughing, I think it means that you're scared because the human condition is one where we are <laughs> connecting. And um, I feel like there's such a powerful urge for us to connect and laughter is such a great way to do that. So if you're not doing that, then it's like, what's going on? What is stopping that? And usually it's that people are scared. They're scared to be themselves. And uh, it's an important thing for women in particular to find their work voice, to find their voice that is who they are, their authentic selves, um, because you can't be powerful if you're not really being who you are. I mean, when I first started working in office building, I didn't even know it was like oh, this quiet Asian girl. I, I didn't know what to do or say. I never cracked a joke. I never smiled. Um, mm. And, you know, it's hard like to do stuff together with people if you're not bringing your whole self into the conversation. I love that you said that, you know, it makes me think of, um, you know, I've had my business for 10 years and I think I was like playing and pretending that everything was super cool and amazing and great for like, I don't know, seven of the 10 years <laughs> or like six to <laughs> 10 years. Uh, like really, like I was like, everything's amazing. Like insert hair flip here, you know, like that's just like the way I was acting. It wasn't, I mean, it really wasn't like there were 
some years where I was doing fine. There were some years where like our part-time babysitter made more money than me. Like, you know, it wasn't like all amazing, but I just pretended it was because I thought that that's what the world expected, right? They wanted the agency to look like an agency and look flashy and all this stuff. And um, it wasn't until I guess I reached a breaking point and I started being really honest with like my potential clients, like mostly founder brands. And I was like, this freaking sucks. <laughs> I'm on a roller coaster. I can't get off the roller coaster. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when I started to be really honest and very vulnerable, like, you know, I didn't choose to be vulnerable. I think I was at a breaking point. Like everything changed for me. When, and like my, my work voice, as you say, is just honesty. Like, this is hard. I am lonely. I'm sad. Or this is amazing. And this is fun. And knowing that every day can be different. Um, nothing changed for me until I was really ready to be honest with the world. I think that is such an important lesson. You know, I've uh, raised a lot of money from Silicon Valley uh, venture capital firms. And when you are chatting with other entrepreneurs, especially the bros, right, their bros are always killing it. You know, I have like a joke <laughs> where I say, you know, it's like, it's amazing anything is alive at all because you'd think that all these bros were killing everything. Like there's, you know, everything is dead. <laughs> Uh, but it's like, how, how, how is it going? Oh, we're killing it. Like it's always that. Right. And so, yeah, it's not until you are honest, like it turns out uh, that being an entrepreneur is super lonely. Sometimes I call it a mental illness because why would you choose it? Um, uh, And it's not like I used to think when people said it's lonely at the top, it's well, only because you're flying on your private jet and you're out of touch and you are counting your diamonds, you know, and drinking champagne. And it's not that. It's just lonely because you don't have the right to connect with, you know, to like share your burdens with people. You can't have right. the CEO complaining about their lives to an employee. It just, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work that way. You have to serve your team, you know? And so it is, it's that part of it being the, the last catch all, uh, the last line of defense can be, um, can be a lonely experience when you feel like it is all riding on you. So yeah, if I think, uh, um, the only way to crack that, I think it was Brene Brown. I love her. Have you read her books? No. Um, so she has actually, if you're interested in vulnerability, she has a fantastic um, TED talk on shame. And basically her thing is like, uh, you know, you can have um, guilt is productive. It's like, hey, I did this thing wrong and I'm going to, you know, uh, do it differently next time. But shame is like guilt when you are alone, when you're not letting mm. the light of connection come in when you're not sharing it with anyone at all. And so then, um, and shame is really destructive. It kills your self-esteem. It kills your energy. Um, so think about all the times when you are in a shame spiral where you just feel so bad about yourself. Um, the way to break that is to shine some light on it, to get somebody else's perspective. You know, she literally says when you're feeling that way, you pick up the phone and you call a safe person and you tell them, you know, what you did and you try to cultivate that voice in yourself. Like, what would you say to a friend if they said they did the stupid thing that you feel so ashamed of? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, most of the time you would say it's okay. Like you would give that person, you know, license to forgive themselves and to learn and move on. But um, yeah, there's something when you are 
uh, alone, as you often are as an entrepreneur making decisions and it's all on you, it's easier to fall into shame because you are alone and shame exists only on its own island. So who do you, how, how have you built relationships around you that are those safe people? Where have you found like the right people that you can talk to privately um, and openly when you, obviously you can't tell your team that you, you had a shitty day and made a shitty decision, right? How do you, who do you find for that? You know, it really is, uh, it's trial and error. So, you know, it's uh, reaching out to people and seeing how they respond. It's also being clear that's what you need yourself, right? To say, um, when you call in, you're like, I need some support here. I need to talk to you. Um, I uh, always uh, think it's amazing when people do, you know, have the resources to enlist the help of professional therapists or um, on and off. I have really benefited from a leadership coach. And it's hard Mm -hmm. to find the person who's like right for you, who's going to be smart enough and insightful enough and, you know, not just give you like crap exercises, like breathe. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's really going to sort of uh, understand where you're coming from and help you try a handful of things that can really change the way that, uh, you know, that you function. Um, So I think, uh, it's trial and error though. You know, if you, if you reach out to someone and they make you feel like crap, like, uh, you know, journal it, like make a mental note, don't do it again. Don't go to that right. person who's, you know, who says, really, you have that challenge? Like, that's crazy. Everything I do is, you know, roses <laughs> and absolutely perfect. And when I go to the bathroom, I crap diamonds. I think they call that going to the hardware store for milk, right? Going to somebody <laughs> who can't give you what you need, you know, what you need is, you know, the food store, right? Not the hardware store if you need milk um, and learning about that, yeah. right? That takes time though. It does. And you just have to acknowledge that it, it, that uh, not everybody is meant to be, uh, you know, is, is wired that way. So it's sort of um, looking into the universe for what you need explicitly and uh, and then also trying to cultivate that voice inside your own head and being that person for other people as well. Yeah, if somebody's, um, you know, jumping into this um, podcast and not really familiar with our our series, I think they'd probably think our conversation is very woo-woo, like, <laughs> like universe. Like, tie it down to something. Connections. <laughs> Um, but this is all, I mean, I didn't, I never spoke this way until like, I really started wanting to like live a more joyful life, quite frankly. Like I just, you know, had a regular conversations, but when I really started wanting more out of my life and feel more joyful with all my days and more relaxed, like I started to talk with people who talk like this and now it makes a lot of sense to me. But, um, for someone who is not indoctrinated in what we're talking about, like how, how does someone take a step forward into just trying to find more joy or more laughter that doesn't feel as like woo woo and overwhelming? Um, I think it all starts with self-reflection, like figure out who the people and what the experiences are that lead you in that, you know, uh, cause we all have them. And I think it's, uh, it's really sort of chronicling them that will help you see them more. Um, uh, it is, uh, you know, I, I hope, I'm hoping this isn't too out there, but one of the things that, um, that, uh, doing that, keeping like, you know, a a gratitude journal, I think Mm. it's, it's so basic, but it really works. Uh, and one interesting thing about that kind of exercise is that 
uh, suddenly you see more reasons to be joyful elsewhere as well that you might have missed. Um, it was something that I actually started with my kids. So if you're a parent and looking for a specific strategy, um, uh, there was an article from like uh, the Yale Psychology Department a, a while ago that talked about how the only true way to change behavior is to provide positive reinforcement um, of the opposite of the behavior you're trying to eradicate. So it's not just like, hey, you're doing great. For example, if somebody is late nine out of 10 times, the one time that they are on time, you heap praise on them. And it Mm -hmm. feels weird. You're kind of like, ah, you were late the other nine times. (laughs) But like, if you really want to get rid of that behavior, you know, the what works, um, what research demonstrates is the most effective thing is to look for that, you know, opportunity and positively reinforce when that behavior, you know, the negative behavior you're trying to get rid of isn't there. And so uh, one interesting thing that does, though, when I've tried to exercise that with my kids is that you start seeing more positivity. Like in your head, you might have thought, you know, that person is late nine out of ten times. But then when you're looking for opportunities to uh, you know, to positively reinforce, like often I find, oh, actually, you know, they were on time five out of the 10 times, right? Like it wasn't yeah. as bad as I yeah. thought, or look at all these other things they're doing while well, they're late because they're, they are the one who always brings the cake <laughs> like for birthdays or, you know, it's, uh, it's an eye opening way to sort of see things. So, you know, I think it's a small change that everybody can make today. Like, you don't have to see a therapist. You don't have to change your job. You don't have to start a company. It is uh, something you can start doing right now is to think about the things that irritate you, um, the people around, um, about the people or situations around you, and then start looking for, you know, the positive opposite and um, and chronicling it and commenting on it. And hopefully all of those, um, the positive opposites will continue to grow. You stated it so beautifully, and um, I hope we have a lot of listeners paying attention because it, it is one of the easiest things you can do to make yourself feel better, and it really, like through osmosis, makes everyone around you feel better. Um, you know, I didn't live my teens or 20s in a very grateful way. I was just sort of like, I want to make more money. I want a cooler job. I know more than my bosses, right? I think I was like, you know, acted like a you know, obnoxious jerk most of the time. Um, and my, my guess is I was like equally rude to my friends. I really didn't feel, um, connected and I, I knew I was searching for a connection in the world, but I definitely didn't know how to, to find it. Um, and it really like took me like a major kind of life event. Like I had to go, th- I wanted to be a parent and I wasn't getting pregnant and I had to go through IVF and it was like, you know, the worst, right? Like this is, um, well, I'm sure there's more awful things, but this is pretty awful. Like thinking I'm never going to be a a mom. And that was really what kind of pointed me on the path to like learning more about myself and, um, wanting to live in a different way because I was facing, you know, something that was like a crisis. Um, have you lived your whole life, like kind of in this like really meaningful, grateful, joyful way, or is this something (laughs) that you had, you had to find? No, I think I've I've found it in different ways. You know, one thing for me that was different is that I was born in Korea. Um, So it's funny, a lot of our beauty products are Korean beauty, um, like uh, inspired or uh, from my heritage. But uh, I always like to say, like, I've been Korean, you know, all my life, but it's only been the last few years. It's been cool. Um, but, uh, but like what that means is that my parents were immigrants and I was always navigating different worlds. 
Like um, my parents uh, had this thing where when they walked in, um, they wanted all of us to drop what we were doing. I have two younger sisters and just come to the front door. And, uh, you know, like you would think like they were like the world will fall apart. You know, the heavens will open up if you don't do this. Right. It's little things like that. And then you go to your friend's house and you realize, oh, like Americans don't do that. Um, and the world doesn't fall apart. Right. That's actually one custom I really liked. I um, when I come home from a trip that an overnight trip somewhere, I would love it if my parents like if my kids came to the door to say hi <laughs> instead right. of like staring at their iPhones. Um, but, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, part of my observations about the world kind of came from the fact that like, well, this is weird. Like here's one set of rules. Here's another set of rules. Um, and then it gives you a little bit of confidence. Well, it turns out nobody really knows what they're doing, right? Like, um, uh, <laughs> uh, when you, I, I think that was the biggest gift of my life is to, understand that there can be more than one set of rules and then that gives you the freedom to think like nobody really knows there aren't you know like you just do the best you can you make up the rules as you go and I think uh you don't understand that as um you kind of come up most people come across that later in life maybe when they travel or they work or they get married and they have to deal with somebody else's you know um rules and they struggle with that but uh I think you know, immigrant kids deal with that in a much more visceral way. Every day they're crossing that boundary multiple times a day. Um, right. So I think that's a, you know, it was a, a tremendous gift in terms of like my worldview that I think I got from the fact that all of the rules at home were totally different than all of the rules everywhere else. Right. And now you're writing your own rules. At Julep. <laughs> yeah, and that takes a while, right? Like, I think we all, I don't know, I'm so passionate about this because, like, I, uh, I totally, I, I just remember coming home on the subway, you know, uh, and, like, banging my head going, dummy, 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 why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. Or I wish I hadn't done this. Or I'd see my friends doing that, too. And, like, I had a friend who was so smart but, like, paralyzed. It was like she couldn't you know, apply for a job or really, you know, sort of, um, it was hard for her to make any forward movement. Uh, so I think these are all things you kind of, you see and you try to figure out, um, uh, there must be a better way. And it's easier to see it in other people sometimes like my empathy and my, you know, need to shake her out of it. It was like, you are smart. You can do stuff. You're amazing. And so when you want to, you know, when you're doing that for a friend and then, um, it kind of opens your mind to sort of, oh, well, maybe, like, I I need some of this, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I've learned how to be kind to myself, and not kind to myself, like, getting a pedicure kind, like, really emotionally kind to myself um, by watching how I behave when my kids are struggling, right? I say those nice things to them, I rub their back, I give them hugs, I reinforce, you know, how great everything else is and that this one shitty thing happened, but, you know, it's just one thing among many. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I can, I can do that for myself, right? It's like uh, by the practice of doing it with the kids, I'm learning how to do it for me. Totally. And, you know, one of the most interesting insights that I have come across recently is that I really believe that grown-ups have the same emotional responses that kids do. Um, 
they just know they can't pitch a fit, right? So uh, right. we don't, I used Wait, to some think of us, that some we of us would know that, change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not everybody. Like I used, <laughs> yeah, especially in politics these days. Um, but uh, I used to think that when you grew up, like I would, I like this kind of thing won't make me mad anymore or, you know, uh, that like your response would change. But what I'm realizing is that our first responses don't change. Just as grownups, we understand how to moderate them more or to articulate them to use our words. Um, but it's super, it's a super helpful construct because when you are presenting something that is going to cause emotional frustration, it makes me realize like how much people are, you know, that they're like, they're going through the work of, uh, of moderating that reaction that, you know, people, if, if, if a kid is going to be frustrated about situation of change, right. When you walk in, this is something I do a lot, like, Hey guys, I know we worked on this project and, you know, for like six months, but I had this idea. <laughs> Let's do it this way instead. And uh, if I did that for, to my kids, like when they were four, they would have thrown something at me. Yeah. They would have thrown yeah. temper tantrum and, and I think that's the way people respond on the inside. They just know they can't throw themselves on the floor in a work environment. Um, but it's it's help. It's super helpful to realize that because uh, just knowing that you know that that's the emotional response, and then you rationally work through it in your head. But um, that's been a big aha. Like you know what? We don't really change the way we respond, whether it's joy or laughter or anger or frustration you know, the responses are what they are. And I think, you know, we don't change that. We just change how we can articulate them and work through them. Jane, I've enjoyed this so much. I love hearing about the way that you think. Thank you so much for sharing this wisdom with me and our listeners today. I know we talked a little bit through a few beauty words in there, but this was super fun. (laughs) This is awesome. And if you want more great stuff like this, please subscribe on iTunes to where brains meet beauty and follow us on Instagram at base beauty creative agency. Thanks for listening to where brains meet beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.